All praises to the Most High. I'm Boyce Washington, and on the other side of me is Pastor Richard Washington, and we say shalom and welcome to the Science of the Covenant podcast. This is the podcast where we will study the Bible, the biblical covenant, and what that means for us today. We hope you not only study the Bible when listening to this podcast, but we encourage you to study the Bible outside of listening to this podcast because as it states in 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, study to show thyself approved unto Elohim, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So if you are ready, let's, let's begin our study. Pastor, what do you have for us today? What we're going to be looking at since we are in the season of the Feast of Tabernacles we're going to continue in that trend, and we'll be looking at the uh, tabernacles and how it relates uh, to us in, diff- in various ways. So what we want to do is keeping with the theme of the Feast of Tabernacles, we'll continue that in next, uh, this coming week. We should be closing out on tabernacles. And we'll have a, another study as I've looked at it. And we have two more phases of the last study that we had, which was we're going to deal with the the prophetical significance of the Feast of Tabernacle and the eschatology of the Feast of Tabernacles. But today we're going to be dealing with a different phase uh, of the Feast of Tabernacles. So let us have a word of prayer, Eternal Father, with all of the grief and the suffering that is going on and trying to recoup and to revamp back from the losses and the sicknesses and the various things that have taken place in this world, that you would continue to give us both the rain as well as the sunshine, O Heavenly Father, to be able to cope with the various things that we're dealing with. Now, Father, as we go into your word, we ask that it may speak to us concerning the Feast of Tabernacles, that we can draw significance from it and to be there for it. Bless my host, bless me, bless each listener, bless all of those, O Heavenly Father, who are concerned with your will, that they may know of it, and that when thou dost come, you can find them walking in the footsteps of Yeshua and the Messiah. These blessings we ask in the name of no other name that can be named upon the earth but Yeshua, but Yeshua the Messiah. In his name, we do ask all of these blessings. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Okay, I'm going to ask you to turn first with me in the book of uh, Exodus. In the book of Exodus, we want to go to Exodus uh, chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25. <clears throat> And in that particular book, we want to look at verse number verse number eight, Exodus twenty-five eight. Now here in Exodus twenty-five eight, it says, "And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them." Okay. So in many instances, uh, what we're looking at is Elohim gave them instructions on how to build a sanctuary. Now, the interesting thing about this is, is that this particular sanctuary that they were building was a place where they were to center their worship. 
Now, what we want to understand, too, is the fact that when Israel traveled in the wilderness, both their individual homes where they stayed, they were also tabernacles. So we see a center tabernacle, which is being represented. And we also find that Elohim's people, they dwelled in tabernacles. So we seeing that tabernacles is, is a broader concept than we may generally look at. Now I want you to turn with me into uh, Leviticus chapter 23. And, and in Leviticus chapter 23, we want to look at verse number 34. Okay, now we just read that one of the reasons why he wanted to build a tabernacle was he wanted to be with his people. He says, so I can be in the midst of you. Okay, now here in Leviticus chapter uh, 23, and looking at verse number 34, notice what it says. It says, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days unto Yehoah, or Yahweh. So what, what we want to talk about here is a tabernacle cons consultation, the tabernacle cons consultation. In other words, uh, we're going to learn from the tabernacle some of the counsel that we can get from the tabernacle. So we call it the tabernacle consultation. Now, when we observe the Feast of Tabernacles on the 15th to the 22nd of the seventh month, while these are days of the year in which they are to be observed, yet there is a broader concept as to their intermingling into other areas of our life. And what we want to see is that the concept of the Feast of Atonement goes farther than just that one annual day. Just like when Mother's Day comes, once a year, yet we know that Mother's Day should be every day. So I think sometimes when we look at these feast days, we say they come once a year. But we want to broaden it out to show you that uh, even though they are celebrated once a year, their influence goes on all of the days of the year. So even if the Feast of Tabernacles comes once a year, yet that which is involved in it, can be seen in other areas of our lives. Now, so the first thing we want to consider is the tabernacle construction, okay? And with that first text that I read, it was talking about the construction of the, the tabernacle that they were to worship in, okay? But they also had to construct the individual uh, tabernacle that they, they were to dwell in, okay? Now, what we want to look at here is that in, in Leviticus 23, and we want to look at verses 39 and 40, Luke 23, not Luke, but Leviticus 23, 39 and 40. Okay, if you got, got that text... I want you to read along with me. It said, On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when ye have gathered the fruit of the land, ye shall keep a feast unto Yahuwah seven days, and on the first day shall be a Shabbat, and on the eighth day shall be a Shabbat. 
and ye shall take on ye shall take you on the first day the bogs of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, and the bogs of the thick trees, and the willows of the brook, and ye shall rejoice before Yahuwah, your Elohim, seven days. Now, what is being pointed out here is our first thing that we're looking at is the tabernacle construction. Okay, now, when they talk about the tabernacle here, they are talking about the tents, and sometimes they call uh, these bulls or sukos, but we're talking about their construction. So here we are told that they were to take branches of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, of thick trees and willow trees of the brook. So apparently these branches were to be used to construct tabernacles to stay in. That's what they were for. So he got all of these branches, and they were to put them together in such a way that they can make them out of a living quarters. Now, these tabernacles were to be constructed out of these various branches to remind them of their experience when they were in Egypt. So let us look at the experience that they were in Egypt. Okay, let us look, up, look at uh, Leviticus 23, 43. We're still in Leviticus 23. Now, let us notice verse 43, which says, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am Yehoah, your Elohim. So he said, one of the reasons I want you to make these booths, because when you came out of Egypt, that's where you dwell. And as long as you're dwelling in the booths, you remember the experience that I gave unto you. Okay. Now, we're going to turn into the book of Ezra. Into the book of Ezra, we want to look at Ezra uh, chapter chapter three, Ezra chapter three. Okay, now here in Ezra chapter three, we want to look at a few verses there. We want to start with number verse number four, Ezra two four. Now remember, when they came out of Egypt, they were dwelling in booths. Okay, now here we find that. Another scenario uh, here, and we want to read the third in the third chapter, and we'll start verse number four. It says, "They kept also the feast of tabernacles, as it is written, and offered daily burnt offerings by number, according to the custom, as the duty of every day required. And afterwards offered the continual burnt offering." both of the new moons and of all the set feasts of Yehoah that were consecrated, and of everyone that willingly offered a free will offering unto Yehoah. From the first day of the seventh month began they to offer burnt offerings unto Yehoah, but the foundation of the temple of Yehoah was not yet laid. They gave money also unto the masons and to the carpenters and and meat and drink and oil unto them of, Z of Zidon and to them of Tyre to bring cedar trees from Lebanon 
to the Sea of Joppa, according to the grant that they had of Cyrus, the king of Persia. Now, what we have read here is that they're trying to rebuild Jerusalem. Now, keep in mind that they've been in the Babylonian captivity for 70 years because Jeremiah had prophesied if they would not follow his covenant, they would go into captivity for 70 years. And now that the 70 years was over, they were coming out of Babylon. Now, remember when they came out of Egypt, they kept the Feast of Tabernacles. Now they're coming out of Babylon, and they're also keeping the Feast of Tabernacles. So what we are looking at here is that when they came out, they were also to build some booths. And I believe that as we look at this is that if you look at verse 6, it says on the first day of the seventh month. Now, we know the first day of the seventh month was the blowing of the trumpets. So the trumpets was being blown to get ready for the Day of Atonement because he was saying here that in verse the latter part of verse 6 that the foundation of the temple was not yet laid. But even though the foundation had not been laid, they were going to still keep the Feast of Tabernacles. It was, a, it was that time of the year. So these tabernacles were to be constructed out of various branches and as they would take these branches and put them together in a certain way, they would remind them of their sojourn in Egypt. And when he came out, they had a place to stay. So when we consider our uh, uh, first parents, Adam and Eve, where did they live? They were living in the Edenic Garden amidst the trees. So when we talk about going back to remembering how Elohim has brought us out, and we go back to when they came out of Babylon, when we go back when they came out of Egypt, and then when we go down to Adam and Eve, we find also they, they were living among trees. So when we look at the broader concept of the Feast of Tabernacles, it goes beyond just one day, and it goes beyond just one geographical location, because we can see the concept that Adam and Eve, they also lived among the trees. Now, one of the interesting things about trees is that one of the Hebrew words for trees is etzah. That's spelled E-T-S-H-A, E-T-S-A-A-H. That's the word for trees, etzah, etzah. And one of the Hebrew words for advice or counsel is etzah. Matter of fact, they have the same identical letters, etzah. They are spelled identical. Could it mean that Elohim intended for the trees to be our teachers? Now, when we consider the fact that etzah means counsel, and etzah also means trees, so one of the purposes of trees we find in, uh, let us go to Genesis chapter 2, and in Genesis chapter 2, we want to look at verse number 9. In other words, we see in the Feast of Tabernacles, we are to get tree branches and to make sukkahs in order to stay, stay in. But we want to get us uh, somewhat of an idea of, uh, about trees. Okay. Now, what we notice here in Genesis uh, 2.9 it says, and out of the ground made Yahuwah Elohim to grow every tree 
that is pleasant to the sight. So here we see that he made all these trees pleasant to the sight. Now, you know, and I know when you look at all of these trees, there has to be something that you're looking at. And then it goes on to say, and the good and good for food. They were not only pleasant to sight, but good for food. And then he goes on to say, the tree of knowledge also in the midst of the garden. I'm not the tree of knowledge, but he said the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So he had two trees in the midst. There was the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. These two trees were right there in the garden. Okay. along with all of the other trees. Now, I would think that if he put all of these trees in the garden, they were intended to teach us. I believe that he did that by being able to let them observe the trees and they would learn from the trees. And there were two trees that he placed in the midst of the garden in addition to the other trees were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge and good and evil. Now, as you recall in the story that Yeshua told them in his covenant that these trees that are in the garden, that man could eat any of those trees, he could eat of any of them. But the only one he pointed out that they should not eat of was the tree of knowledge and good and evil. So in verse in, in the, verse 15, it says, and Yehoah Elohim took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And Yehoah Elohim commanded the man saying, of every tree thou may, uh, of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, you shall surely die. That was the first covenant that he had made with man, that if you leave that tree alone, then we would find life. So when man partook of that tree, he had to put him out of the garden, because if he had left him in the garden, he would have eaten of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, and that would have been one of the worst curse man could get, because he would be, he would, man would eventually get disease and pain and suffering. And if he had eaten of the tree of knowledge, uh, uh, the tree of life, along with eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, he would have to have lived in that state eternally. And a loving father would not permit somebody to suffer that long eternally. So he put him out of the garden. And when he put him out of the garden, we know that we would have death and suffering on this planet. Now, remember that Every evening, when Adam and Eve, before Adam and Eve sinned, uh, Yehoah's son, Yeshua, would walk in the cool of the evening, and he would speak with Adam and Eve. Why did he do that? Because he wanted to be with them. That's why he did it. He wanted to be with them. And so when they sinned, he could no longer be with them because he was a righteous being, and righteousness could not inhabit in righteousness by associating with sinful beings. Okay, so when we look at the tabernacle construction, it was constructed out of certain materials to remind them of certain experiences that they had gone through. Now, let's go to our second point. Let's turn back to Leviticus chapter 23. So we looked at the tabernacle construction. Now we want to look at this, the second thing that we want to discuss. 
Now, here in Leviticus chapter 23, we want to look at a few verses, okay? Okay, Leviticus chapter 23, and we want to start with verse number, uh, verse number 2. Okay, here in Leviticus 23, uh, and we want to look at verse, uh, verses 2 to 4. Now, notice what it says. It said, And speak unto the children of Israel, and unto them concerning the feasts of Yehoah, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, even these are my feasts. Six days shall thou shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Shabbat of rest and holy convocation. Ye shall do no work therein. It is the Shabbat of Yehoah in all your dwellings. Verse 4 says, These are the feasts of Yehoah, even holy convocations, which ye shall proclaim in their seasons. Now, out of all of those three verses, one of the things that stands out is that he said, when you keep these feasts, I want you to keep it a holy convocation. So our next point is not only the tabernacle construction, but we are looking at the tabernacle convocations, okay? The tabernacle convocations. In other words, when we look at the tabernacle, both where they stayed and also the tabernacle in the center of their camp, what we are looking at is that the tabernacle was tied to their convocations. So when you thought about a convocation, you thought about the tabernacle, and when you thought about the tabernacle, you thought about the convocation. So when we look at the tabernacle convocation, we're going to see a, a somewhat of a merging of the two. So here in these verses, we're going to read some more verses uh, to show what we are talking about. Now, for the Shabbat, we saw that they were to have a holy convocation. Now we want to look down in verse number 8, and notice what it says. It said, But ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto Yehoah seven days. In the seventh day is an holy convocation, and ye shall do no survival work. Now notice, again, he's talking about a holy convocation. <clears throat> now we go down to... Uh, uh, now we go down to verse, let me see. Uh, that was, that was verse, let me see, I believe that was verse seven. Uh, well, let me see. Uh, now we want to go down to verse, yeah, verse seven says, in the first day shall be in holy convocation. Ye shall do no survival work therein. And verse eight said, but ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto Yehoah seven days and in the seventh day is a holy convocation. Ye shall do no survival work therein. So again, it's reiterating the holy convocations. So that was very important with Elohim, the holy convocations. And notice what verse 21 says in another festival day. And ye shall proclaim on the selfsame day that it may be an holy convocation unto you. Ye shall do no survival work therein. It shall be a statue forever in all your dwellings throughout all your generations. Again, holy convocation. Now we look at verse 24. It says, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, ye shall, ye shall have a Shabbat, a blowing of trumpets, and holy convocation. Okay? So we see the blowing of, trumpet, blowing of trumpets with the holy convocation. Okay? Now let us go to verse number 27. 
And verse 27 says, And on the tenth day of the seventh month shall be a day of atonement. It shall be an holy convocation unto you, and ye shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire unto Yehoah. So the day of atonement was what? A holy convocation. And let's go to verse number 35. Okay, let's go to 2335. And notice what it says. It said, and <clears throat> Yehoah spake unto, well, no, speak unto the children of Israel, saying, the 15th day of the seventh month shall be a feast of tabernacles for seven days. No, let me see. I think we want verse 35 is what I want. On the first day shall be an holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work therein. So we're talking about the Feast of Tabernacles. It says a holy convocation. Verse 36 says, Seven days ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto Yehoah. On the eighth day shall be an holy convocation unto you. And ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto Yehoah. It is a solemn assembly, and ye shall do no servile work. Verse 37 says, These are the feasts of Yehoah, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, to offer an offering made by fire unto Yehoah, a burnt offering and a meat offering and a sacrifice and a drink offerings and everything upon his day. So what we're looking at, all of the feasts were supposed to be holy convocations. And so when we deal with an holy convocation for tabernacles, it was one of those things that they would come together, his people. Now here these verses are told, are telling us that on the feast days that Yah's people were to have an holy convocation. In having an holy convocation, there are at least three things. I'm going to look at three things that are involved in a holy convocation. Okay, the first aspect of having an holy convocation is to be uh, be called to it. You have to have a call to it first. You don't have a call, you don't have a convocation. So let us look at the call, the first thing in having a tabernacle convocation. So we want to turn to the book of Numbers. And in the book of Numbers, we want to turn to Numbers chapter, chapter 10. And we want to look at verse number 10. Okay. In other words, in order to come to a convocation, you have to be called. Now, here the Bible says uh, in verse chapter 10, in verse 10, it said, Also in the day of your gladness and in your solemn days and in the beginning of your months, ye shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over your sacrifices of your peace offerings that they may be to you a memorial before your Elohim. I am Yah, Yahuwah, your Elohim. Now notice in verse 10, it said they had to blow the trumpets. What were they blowing the trumpets for? They blew them for the solemn days, which are the festival days. That's what they blew them for. So when they blew trumpets 
on the day of tabernacles, they were blowing it to assemble. They were calling the people to assemble for the Holy Convocation. So when you come to the Holy Convocation, you have been called in festival keepers. When they hear the trumpet, just like in Sinai, when they heard the trumpet, Elohim get ready to speak. So the trumpet is a representation of the voice of Elohim to speak to us, and he is speaking to us to come to his feast of tabernacles. So here it states that Yah uses the trumpet call to summons his people. Now the second aspect is that he calls his people to his feast. Now the Hebrew word for feast is feast is moiding. So when we look at the moiding, meaning an appointed time. So when we are called to come to the Feast of Tabernacles, it is one of the appointed times of which he calls us in order to meet with us. So he calls, and when he calls, we come to meet with him. Now the word convocation comes from the Hebraic word Micra, Micra, okay, that's spelled M-I-Q-R-A, M-I-Q-R-A, Micra, that's the Hebrew word for convocation, meaning a calling together. When they blow the trumpet, they call his people together. However, when we are called to an holy convocation, it has to do with a gathering that is set aside, it is set aside for a purpose for which Yah has established. And this brings us to our third point. So the third thing we have as far as having a holy convocation is to have not only a gathering, but it is a sanctified gathering. To be sanctified is to be holy or set apart. These are some of the aspects of a holy convocation. To be called to an holy appointed time to engage in a sanctified gathering. So this is what it means. When we have a feast festival, we are come to a holy time. We are coming to uh, a sanctified occasion that as Elohim speaks to us, we can find that we are being sanctified, sanctified and holy. Matter of fact, when you look at Kaddish, this is the word we get sanctification and this is the same word we get holiness from. So sanctification and holiness mean one and the same thing, is that when he called these holy convocations, they are convocations that we go in order to re- be able to receive sanct- sanctification. Okay, now, we looked at the tabernacle consultation, the tabernacle convocation. Now we're going to go to another aspect. Let us turn back to Leviticus, Leviticus 23. And here we want to read a couple of verses, Leviticus 23, and we want to look at verses 34 and 41. Verse 34 says, of Leviticus 23, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be a feast of tabernacles for seven days unto Yahuwah. Okay, and verse 41 says, and ye shall keep it a feast unto Yehoah seven days in the year. It shall be a statue 
forever in your generations. Ye shall celebrate it in the seventh month. Okay, so what we want to point out here, our third point is, is that the Feast of Tabernacles is a feast of, is, a, is, is what we call the tabernacle celebration. Okay, that's our third point. The tabernacle congregation, when they took time out for the Feast of Tabernacles on the 15th day throughout the 22nd day, it was the tabernacle celebration. Now, in this, in these texts of Scripture, we are told that when we come together on the Feast of Tabernacle, we are to celebrate it. It was a time to both give praise to Yahuwah and to give him thanks for the blessings he has bestowed upon us all this year. It is a time to shout hallelujah. This act of celebrating and giving praise to our creator and savior has gone lacking among Yahuwah's people. We should give him a lot more praise than we do for all that he has done for us. Sometimes we come short of the praise. We can say, give me, give me, give me all year long, but we don't praise him all, all year long. We receive his blessings. We receive his honor. We receive his material and spiritual blessings. But very seldom do we go and we praise him and we lift him up and give him the glory for the great things he has done. We should be able to praise him much more than we praise him. David said, I'm going to praise him how long? David said, I praise him seven times a day. Sometimes we don't praise him once. We need to learn how to give him praise. He is worthy of praise. When you look into the angels in the book of Revelation, they give him the sevenfold praise. They are praising and giving glory unto him all of the time. And I wonder why, how is it that the angels can stand in his presence and say, holy, holy, holy Lord, or holy, 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 Yeshua, Elohim, almighty, praise and honor be to your name. That is because when they see how he works and what he is doing in this earth and how he is working things out, they stand in amazement and they say, holy, holy, praise his name. We should learn how to praise him. We should praise him more. There shall be praise on our lips, praise on our tongue, praise through our teeth, praise with our mouth. And the Bible says in the 150th Psalms, let everything that have breath, let it praise the Lord. Why are we coming short on the praise when he has done so much for us? He brought them out of the Babylonian captivity. They were going to give him praise. They brought him out of among the Egyptians. They gave him praise. And when he delivers us out of the difficult situation that we are in, we should give him praise. When they came up out of the Reed Sea and he had delivered them and the east wind blew all night to get them across. And then when they got across, he caused the east wind to cease and it drowned the pharaohs of Chariot and Miriam and, and the women. They got together and they began to dance and play the tambourine. They were giving him praise. When David was in a straits, when Saul was trying to take his life and his enemies tried to overtake him and God delivered him, he wrote almost the entire book of Psalms. And what was he trying to do? He was trying to give him praise. We need to learn how to praise because it is the tabernacle of praise. The tabernacle was a place where they worship, but also Elohim says we are also his sanctuary. And he want to be able to get praise in us. And when he get praise in us, 
then we'll let out that praise as well. We have to learn to praise him. Now, let us turn to the book of Luke for our fourth point, the book of Luke. And here in the book of Luke, we want to go to chapter 9. This was an interesting verse when I read it. Luke chapter 9. And in the ninth chapter of the book of Luke, we want to look at verse number 33. And here in Luke chapter 33, it reads thusly, And it came to pass, as they departed from him, Peter said unto Yeshua, Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make thee three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias, not knowing what he said. Okay, now, here's the background of this. Uh, Yeshua had taken some of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, who he normally takes with him. They were some of their closest companions. He took them up in a mountain, and they call it the Transfiguration, because when they got up there, the light was so bright that when they observed it, Yeshua was lit up, and he was luminous. And when they looked up, they saw Yeshua with Moses and Elias. And Peter was dumbfounded, and he's wondering what was going on. And so the only expression he could say was, you know, well, you make you a tabernacle, make Moses one, and make Elias one. Okay, now, the fourth point that we're dealing with is what we call the tabernacle conception. Okay, Peter had his conception about this. He wanted to build a tabernacle for Moses, Elias, and Yeshua. Okay, now, whether this event is taking place on the actual day of the Feast of Tabernacle is not apparent in this text. However, it does concern itself with the tabernacle concept, and that's my, third, that's my fourth point, the tabernacle concept. We want to look at a concept here. So just what is the tabernacle concept? When we read concerning the Feast of Tabernacles, it had to do with the construction of bulls, the suko, or the tabernacles. It had to do with the convocations and celebration. And with all of this, that is going on there, that there is even a more of a revelation of this feast that might be seen, that, that can be seen by our eyes. In other words, when we look at the concept of the tabernacle, it has a, a profound meaning. And there's a revelation to it that I think we need to look at. And that revelation is that Yah, our Heavenly Father, wants to be with his children. Peter didn't quite understand this. He wanted to build three tabernacles, one for Yeshua, one for Moses, and one for Elias, not knowing what he said. Now, what we want to look at is that it was three of them. It was, it was, it was Elias. And Moses, and they came down to be with Yeshua, okay? Now, what we notice, why did Moses and Elias come down to see Yeshua? Because Moses, when he died, his body was taken to heaven. 
Even the devil disputed with Yehoah about taking him to heaven, but Yeshua let him know that he was a brand that was plucked from the burning, and he would save Moses, even though Moses made some mistakes, that his grace overrode the, the mistake that Moses made in striking the rock and not lifting up his Savior as he should. And he told Moses, you would not get into the promised land. But what we see is that eventually he did get into the promised land after he died because he was sent back down to see Yeshua. Now, if you remember Elias or Elijah when he was on earth, he was taken up by a whirlwind and he was wished away into heaven. So Moses and Elias represent two classes of people. What are the two classes that they represent? Moses represents all of the people from the time of Adam up until the present that will die and they will be given eternal life. Elias represented all of the people who will never die, but they will be given eternal life. Now, why did they come down on this particular occasion to be able to help to, to be with Yeshua? Well, when Moses was on earth, he talked with Yeshua and Yeshua encouraged him. And as he encouraged Moses, Moses was able to go on through with the task. Why did Elias come down? Well, Eli Elijah came down because when he was in the cave running from Jezebel, it was Yeshua that was encouraging him to go on through with his task. So they knew how rough it had been down here on earth. Moses struck rock because those individuals that he was trying to pastor, they were just getting under his flesh, and he made a mistake. Elijah, when he was down on the earth, recognized that Jezebel and Ahab had done things in Israel that was so bad that he had to tell them that they would not get water for three years and six months until they paid their water bill because of the fact that they had sinned so much. And then after three years and six months, they got rain to be able to deal with their crops and to be able to survive again. But it was so depressing upon Elijah that Yeshua had to give him courage. He gave him courage by feeding him. He gave him courage by sending the Arabs or sending the widow of Zarephath to be able to feed him. He did all of this to help Elijah. And so when Moses knew that Elijah, but that when Moses and Elijah went to heaven, no doubt they got together. And when Moses and Elijah got together in heaven, they said, well, as we look down, we see Yeshua is having a hard time. Let's go to the Father, and let's ask the Father to let us go down and to comfort him. He comforted us when we were on the earth. And Moses said, you're right. When my head was down, he comforted me. And Elijah yes, said, when Jezebel and Ahab was after me, uh, he came down and encouraged me. Let's ask the Father, can we go down and encourage him? And they went to the father and they said, Father, could we go down and help Yeshua, your son? We just want to give him a little encouragement. And the father said, it'll be all right. And he said, what mode of transportation do you want to have? He said, I want the same mode of transportation that you gave to Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. That when you spoke the word, they showed up in the fire furnace right away. And he said, it is done. And they found themselves in the transfiguration of light, standing with the Savior and encouraging him to go on through to the cross 
Go on through with your suffering. Go on through with the crucifixion that they're about to give you. You can make it. You can make it. The Father is on your side. And he was encouraged to go on through the crucifixion. And as a result, what do we see? We see the conception of the reason why they came down. They wanted to be with him in a tabernacle experience. Because Yeshua was in a tabernacle and experience just like Elijah and Moses, and they were some of the best counselors that he could get. And so when they encouraged him to go on down through this particular experience, he had the necessary courage to be able to continue with his journey. Now, the fact that Yah wants to dwell with his people is a tabernacle experience. Whenever we see him dwelling with his people, it's a tabernacle experience. And in this experience is the occurrence is to occur, then we must be spotless, wrinkleless, and blemish-free. In other words, what we are saying, if we want to be a part of the tabernacle experience of Yeshua, we too, like Elijah and Moses, must be pure individuals. Now let us turn to uh, Ephesians. In Ephesians... In Ephesians chapter, we want to look at chapter uh, 5, Ephesians chapter 5. Now, now in this fifth chapter of Ephesians, we want to look at a, ver a verse there. Okay. Now, here it says in Ephesians 5 and verse 27, notice what it says. That he might present himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be an, an holy and without blemish. So what he's saying here, in order for Elohim to tabernacle with us, we have to be spotless, wrinkleless, and blemish-free. That's what it says here in Ephesians 5.27. For we, his people, are the bride of Yeshua, our bridegroom, we should be holy, okay? He said at the latter part of verse 27, we should be holy. It is said of the bride of the Lamb of Yah that she has made herself ready and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. That's found in Revelation uh, chapter uh, chapter 19. So when we were looking at Revelation, it's saying that his church, his people, his bride, she had to be spotless. So when we look at Revelation uh, 19, it has given us a description of who the Messiah can dwell with. He can only dwell with the pure and the holy. And as he dwells with the pure and the holy, then these are the people that he will make his abiding with. Now, when we look at verse number 8 of Revelation uh, 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 Revelation uh, 19, verse 8 says, And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. So this is what we are striving for, is to have that fine linen and to be righteous so that he can dwell with us. Elohim the Father could not dwell with us. Yeshua could not 
dwell with us unless we could be clean, spotless, and pure. So when we experience that type of an experience, then he can dwell with us. So the question we ask, how is that state of holiness attained? Okay, how do we attain that state? How can we be pure, holy, spotless, without any blemish? How do we attain that state? Well, we want to turn to Revelation chapter 1, and we'll see exactly how to attain that state. In Revelation 1, reading verse number 5, it said, And from Yeshua, the Messiah, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, and was wa- and washed us from our sins in his own blood. That's how we are made spotless. We are washed in his blood. His blood is his life. When he washes our life in his life, this blood was shed for us on Golgotha, on Passover. Therefore, all who are part takers of his blood and are purified by it, by living according to his life, have qualified themselves to be a part of his bride. She is pure. Our sins is laid upon him and his righteousness is laid upon us by the washing of his blood. Today we are fulfilling the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay. Now, the day of atonement is when we look at all of our sins, but the day of Passover is when the blood was shed But when we come to the Day of Atonement, the blood is applied to our lives to see if we have been living to the way he wants us to. And if we are, then on the Day of Atonement, all of the sins are not only forgiven and forgotten, but they are done away with. So the next feast that is to be fulfilled after the Day of Atonement is that of tabernacles, when Yah the Father and Yeshua his Son will tabernacle with his people. Now let us turn in Revelation 20. 21, and we want to look at verse number 3, Revelation 21, 3. Now, notice what Revelation 21, 3 says. It says, when his bride has purified herself, it says in the third verse of the 21st chapter of Revelation, and I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of Elohim is with men, and he would dwell with them, and they shall be his people and Elohim himself shall be with them and be their Elohim. So the whole purpose of why we keep the Feast of Tabernacles is because he wants to dwell with us. However, however, what do we do until the Father and his Son dwell with us? That's his whole thing. He wants to dwell with us, okay? That takes us to our last point. And our last point, after dealing with the tabernacle conception of Elohim wanting to dwell with us, we want to look at this last one in closing. Here it says in the 14th chapter of the book of the Gospel of John, the Besora, 14. And here we want to start with verse number 15. The Gospel of John. 14, and we want to start with verse number 15. 
Here it says, if you, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. So here we see our last point is dealing with the tabernacle of comfort. The tabernacle of comfort. Here he is telling his disciples that I want to be with you, but I can't. My father want to be with you, but I can't, but he can't. So what I'm going to give you to tabernacle with you is the spirit of the Father. The Father's Holy Spirit is going to be with you. Here, Yeshua is saying, I'm going to give you the promise, and the promise was that he would give, that the Holy Spirit would come from the Father, and when the Holy Spirit would come from the Father, it would give you the comfort that you need. So while he was not able to be here, he said, I have a representative, the spirit of truth, the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, and he will be with you. So here Yeshua gives us the promise that while he is away from us, that we would not be comfortless according to the uh, 18th verse of the 14th chapter. He is saying here that it is the comforter of his father that he'll pray for that he'll send to us. May Yeshua and his father tabernacle over us to give us a peace through his spirit. The whole reason why Yeshua came to our world is to be with us. And we close with this text. We close with the text found in Matthew 1.23. Notice what it says. He said, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is Elohim with us. In other words, the whole purpose for Yeshua coming to be in this world is to be with us. In other words, the broader concept of the Feast of Tabernacles is that he wants the tabernacle among us. Yeshua was the divine tabernacle. We are the human tabernacles, and he is, and Yeshua is both the divine and human tabernacles to come to be with us. This is why Elohim says to Moses, build me a tabernacle. The whole reason for the tabernacle is that he wants to be with us, and he sent his son to be with us. He's the Emmanuel, Elohim with us. He intended that if Adam didn't sin, he would be with us for eternity. But now that we have sinned by his grace, if we accept the blood of Yeshua, we can still have that eternal tabernacle with him. And we'll be with him and we'll be and he'll be with us throughout eternity. Father, we thank you for the Feast of Tabernacles that you are telling us you want to be with us. And indeed, in this sinful world, we want to be with you. So help each one of us to strive through the blood of Yeshua by his grace that we may do and be what you would have us to be, that one day we can have a life that will measure 
throughout eternity with Yeshua and his father, all because they want a tabernacle with us and we want a tabernacle with them through the blood of Yeshua. May it not be in vain. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it, and for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen, amen. and amen. Amen. So I found it interesting how you said that Etza means trees as well as council. Yeah, that was very interesting. I couldn't overlook at that. That was very interesting. They had the same spelling. And, you know, it's, it's something how it's uh, tied in to the tree of knowledge. Uh, you were saying of good and evil. And mm-hmm. that was something, you know, that basically um, gave Adam and Eve knowledge about what happened with sin, mm-hmm. you know, right. once they partook of it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's interesting, too, that it seems like... Uh, there's a lot of knowledge you can get from trees and a lot of mm-hmm. things we have gotten from trees. And tell me about it. And, right. uh, I mean, the very booths uh, that we dwell in, you know, pretty much are uh, from trees mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. everything. So I found You're that right. very fascinating. Mm-hmm. And um, another thing I found really fascinating was uh, when Israel came out of bondage of Babylon during the Feast of Tabernacles mm-hmm. and also yeah. mm-hmm. out of Egypt. So I'm just wondering, is it possible with, you know, I've been reading about the second Exodus mm-hmm. and I'm just wondering, will that happen around Tabernacle as the other uh, two have? That's, that's a good observation. Uh, Cause when we study keenly into Every time they came out of uh, captivity, uh, what we find is that the kings and stuff, a lot of times when they have been devastated by a plague or uh, that the kingdom of Judah or Israel had fallen below uh, the expectations of Elohim, mm-hmm. that other nations took them over. And when Elohim delivered them, they come back to the Torah and they come back to the feast days. Mm. They keep coming back. And, 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 and the Feast of Tabernacles is the same thing. And then when you look at uh, uh, Zechariah, I think the 14th chapter, it says uh, they would keep the Feast of Tabernacles again. Mm. And, and, and he says everybody in Egypt who do not keep it, he's not just talking about the Israelites, he said even the Egyptian people, he said if they don't keep it, they're going to be cursed. So that means if you keep the Feast of Tabernacle, whether you Jew or Gentile, mm-hmm. he said you're going to be blessed. Wow. So it's something about the Feast of Tabernacles. And you, you know, it's crazy because uh, it seems like our people that are waking up, one of the things that are bringing us back is the feast. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is kind of you, that's kind of the uniting factor is our return to the feast. And it's the same thing, like you said, that happened with Egypt and Babylon and everything. Mm-hmm. You know? But it, it just seems to show that Yah is unchanging. He does things the same time mm-hmm. in, time out, just different right. time periods mm-hmm. and everything. You know? But, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And, and, you know, the other thing, too, uh, how you was bringing out the celebration, I don't think we as people, we do that enough. 
I don't think we say hallelujah and and celebrate our king enough. You know, we'll, I I think we'll do it um, if we're around other people and convocation Mm. because I think it's more of a show. Mm-hmm. But what about in the privacy of your home when it's just you? What are you doing to praise the most high yeah. for all he's done? Right. You know, and I think that's something we should try to do daily, not just one time mm-hmm. here and there. I think that's something we should do daily, maybe even several times a day, is give him praise. Praise his name, right? Yes. Praise him. Yes. He's worthy of praise. Yes. Yes, he is. Yes. Now, you were saying... uh word micro is hebrew mm-hmm. for convocation yeah for convocation means a call uh to call a people together okay yeah okay. micro uh-huh. okay all right well i think this was a very good teaching learned Thank a you. lot from it and with that we will head over into our next segment Up next is Let's Talk About That. So if you tuned in to our podcast from last week, I asked a pastor about what are statutes? Because we hear about it in scripture, keep your commandments, the statutes. And he gave us a very clear point what statutes are. So with building on that, we want to know what are judgments because it always when you some, when you see in scripture it is mentioned commandments, it mentions statutes and judgments. So if you have your Bible still, turn with me to First Kings, chapter eight, and we're going to read just two verses from there. That's First Kings chapter eight, and we're going to read verses fifty-seven and fifty-eight. One more time. That's the eighth chapter. Of first Kings and we are going to read 57 and 58 and it reads Yahuwah Elohenu be with us as he was with our fathers let him not leave us nor forsake us that he may incline our hearts unto him to walk in all his ways and to guard his commandments and his statutes and his judgments which had which he commanded our fathers so, Pastor, what are the judgments? What are they speaking of? Okay, let's let's take an introspective look at uh, what you say, uh, particularly the scripture that you read. Let's let's uh, let's go back to the scriptures that you read. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that was uh, fifty-seven and uh, yeah, fifty-eight. Uh, yeah, fifty-seven and fifty-eight. Okay, very appropriate scripture to read. Okay, now what, what we want to notice in verse uh, uh, 57, it says, And Yahweh, our Elohim, be with us. He was with our fathers. Let him not leave us nor forsake us. So they were saying uh, their fathers, he was with them. Mm-hmm. He said, hey, we don't want to be forsaken. You know, we want to follow in the footsteps of our fathers. You know, he said, forsake us not. Now notice notice the uh, succession of of terms that is used in verse fifty-eight. Mm-hmm. He said that he may incline our hearts unto him. Mm-hmm. Okay, in other words, we want to uh, have our hearts attuned with him to walk in all his ways. Okay, 
and to keep his what? His commandments. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, how do you know how to keep the commandments? Well, the statutes, the next thing says, and his statutes, because the statutes teach you how to keep your commandments. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. Now, here's what I want you to notice. And, and he said, and his judgments. Uh-huh. Now, here's the sequence. The commandments is what we should do, but the statute tells us how to do them. Okay. And then the judgments tells us what's happening if we keep them and if we don't keep them. Oh. Okay. That's that's where your judgments come in. See, okay. when, see when Elohim told uh, 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 Adam not to eat of the forbidden fruit, uh-huh. that was a command. Okay. And he told him about all of the trees. That was the statutes. Okay. And then when he said, if you eat, you're going to die. But if you no, don't eat, you'll live. That was the judgments. Ah. So, when, so, when, so when Elohim give you something, mm-hmm. he give it all up front. He's <laughs> up front. He says, hey, look here, Adam. You got eternal life, man. Wow. He said, but if you eat up this tree, I'm going to let you know what's going to happen. I'm not going to wait until you eat of it. And then you're going you're gonna to find yourself dying and come running to me and talking about, well, uh, you know, Father ate it. No. He said, I'm a God. I'm, I'm up front. You know, uh-huh. I, 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 uh, you know, I, I, I make sure it's straight with you. Mm. And so when we look at the judgments, the judgments are those penalties and things that will come if we don't keep it. And it's also a judgment that if we keep it, what the blessings will be. Okay. Okay. All right. Now, here's what we want to look at now. If you remember the story of Solomon, mm-hmm. one of his prayers was that Elohim, you know, you put me on my father's throne, David. He said, but these people are so many. He said, could you give me wisdom and knowledge to have the distinction between, in so many words, good and evil, to know uh, how to govern so great a people? He said, could you give me that? He didn't Mm -hmm. pray for riches. He didn't pray for long life or longevity. He just prayed for wisdom to know how to govern his people. Okay. So in order to know how to govern the people, what are you saying? You need judgment. You have to have judgment. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so Elohim was so impressed. Elohim said, you know, Solomon, you were very unselfish to pray a prayer like that. You You didn't pray and say, Lord, give me wealth and riches. You didn't pray and say, Lord, give me long life. You prayed for wisdom to be able to judge my people. Mm. And Elohim says, Solomon, I'm going to give you wisdom that no man before you and no man after you would have the wisdom that you got. Wow. And so when he sat on the throne, what happened was one day two ladies came before Solomon. And when they came before Solomon, one lady said, uh, we were sleeping last night and I had my baby and she had her baby. Mm-hmm. And when I woke up the next morning, I had a dead baby in my hand and she had the live baby, but she took her dead baby and put it in my hand and, and, and took my live baby. Mm-hmm. And the other lady said, no, it wasn't that way. She said, the live baby is mine and the dead baby is hers. And so Solomon said, hmm. And they just kept fussing, and Solomon told one of the servants, he said, give me a sword. And the, and the servant went and got Solomon's sword, and, and Solomon said to a servant, hold that child up. And they held that child up. He said, I want you to cut that baby in two, give one to this mother, mm-hmm. and the other part to the other mother. Okay. And 
the lady, one lady said, yes, that's right, cut it in half so I can have a piece of it and she can have a piece of it. Mm-hmm. And then the other lady said, no, 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 give her the baby. Give her the baby. Give her the baby. And Solomon said, put your sword up. Mm. He said, the woman that did not want that child cut is the real mother. Because Solomon knew in growing up how affectionate his mother was with him. And when he when Elohim put him on that throne, mm-hmm. when he put him on that throne, he gave him mother's wit. Mm-hmm. And with that mother's wit, he judged that situation to know that no real mother would cut a baby in half. Mm-hmm. And he said, give her the baby, and this is not her baby. That was wisdom. That was judgment. And so he had judgment. Because when Moses came out of Egypt, what happened? He had killed a person mm-hmm. because he was fooling with a Hebrew. And the next day, when Moses came out, he saw two brethren fighting. And he said, Brother, no, don't, don't, don't fight. You are both Hebrews. And they said, well, intend for us, to intend you to kill us as you did the other Hebrews. Mm-hmm. He said, and now here's the words that they said to him. They said, are you a judge among us? Are mm-hmm. you a judge? Mm-hmm. Now, why did they say he was a, are you a judge among us? That is because whenever a king got on a throne, he was not just a king, he was also a judge. Mm-hmm. This is why Yeshua, our king, he's not just a king, he's also a judge. Oh. And so a king and a judge went together, just like in the book of Judges. When they called these people judges, they were also kings. Oh. Many of them were kings as well as judges. When you looked at a judge, a judge is one that he puts on the throne to know how to make a distinction. And one of the things that Elohim gave all of his kings and his judges is that they had to have a copy of the Torah hmm. because that's where they would get their wisdom. That's where they would learn about the statutes and the judgments. And when they learned about the judgments, they knew the things they should do to be blessed and the things they should not do to be be cursed. And when you read in the book of Deuteronomy, chapters 28 and 29, it talks about the blessings and the cursings. It talks about the judgments that will come if you're disobedient, and also the blessings will come if you're obedient. That's judgment. Okay. So it, all the judgments are just basically what's going to happen if you violate mm-hmm. or if you keep the commandments and the statutes. It's mm-hmm. just a, the, the, mm-hmm. the effect that's going to be. Right. See, he's, a, he's up front. He, he lets you know. You do this, this is going to happen. Do this, that's going to happen. Yeah. And, you know, that's only fair. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, uh, at least you know what the expectations are. Then someone mm-hmm. giving you a rule or a law, and you don't know what, what the expectations are. They can just make it up as right. long as they go. But like you mm-hmm. said, he's an up front Elohim that he's giving you everything up front. So it would be no questions asked. Mm-hmm. And I can see uh, during judgment when he judge us, it shouldn't be no questions asked because he can just go down the line. OK, this is what you did according mm-hmm. to my law. This is what you did uh, uh, against my law and all. And I, and I think from there. We can even say whether we right or wrong the way we lived our lives a lot of time. Mm-hmm. You know? You're right. Wow. Yeah, that's 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 judgment. And. And uh, a lot of people say, well, don't judge me. Well, uh, Elohim has caused us to, to judgment. Mm-hmm. 
Now, not me and you, we can't judge whether a person going to be saved or lost. Yeah. But we can judge their behavior that if they're not following the Torah or his word, they possibly will be lost. But I can't determine that because he only knows the whole life. It's like the thieves on the cross. I don't know. You know, I, I couldn't say whether they be saved or lost, but he did tell one of the thieves, I will remember you when I come into paradise. Mm-hmm. So Elohim has not uh, called us to give judgment on who's going to be saved or lost, but he has called us to judgment to know what to do, whether it's right or wrong. Yeah. Because we know that when you deal with, with, uh, with his people, he, has, he says you have the wheat and the tares. You see, now the tares yeah. may come out to be wheat and the wheat may come out to be tares because they look alike. Yeah. He said, but at the judgment, I'm going to separate the two. So he has the wisdom to do that. We don't have that wisdom, but we do know that if he tells us to do something, we have the wisdom to know what's right and what's wrong, what he said and what he didn't say. Wow. Okay. I think that clears it up as in regards to what are the statutes from last week and what are the judgments. And for a refresher, the statutes are basically what they expand on the commandments. Am I right? You're correct. Okay. You couldn't have said it any better. And, and how we should go about keeping certain things, just like how we have the Shabbat. And then how the feast days ties into Shabbat with the statutes. You know, and then the judgments will be what happens if we violate or keep uh, his holy feast days. You know, and, and if that was, is that correct? Um, how I stated yes. that? Yeah, that's, that's okay. correct. That's All correct. All righty. Well, I think this has been a wonderful lesson I have thoroughly enjoyed. So, Pastor, before we get ready close out can you offer prayer not only for the podcast but for all our listeners throughout wherever they are in this world okay. loving father we thank you again that we can be able to on a holy shabbat oh Father, father to give you praise and honor and lift you up you're worthy you brought us through another week you brought us through some trying difficult times and so we pray for my host pray for myself pray for each listeners we pray for those who may be in a distant part of the world oh heavenly father not just here in the United States, but in other countries and places, that your spirit, O Heavenly Father, that searches out humanity, O Heavenly Father, may be with with each of us, O Father, that as we continue throughout the Feast of Tabernacles, that we can be able to discern and to know what your will is. We realize that the judgments, O Heavenly Father, is not only with the Sabbath days, but it's also with how we treat one another. The judgments is also in what we eat and what we drink. The judgment is also upon how we dress. The judgment, so Heavenly Father, tells us the result of the things that we do that are evil. So we ask, O Father, that you would meet each one of us, no matter whether we're close or near, that the power of the Holy Spirit may transform us through the blood of Yeshua, his life, that we may be the receptacles that can receive the Holy Spirit through keeping your holy law and to be able to do the things that you would have us to do, that when you send your son, Yeshua the Messiah, to reclaim his children, that we won't have the condemnation of the judgment, but we will have the blessings of the judgment to know that now, as a result of walking in the way that you would have us to, that one day we'll look at the great tabernacle when you would be with us and we'll be with you, not for a moment, not for a day, not for a year or a week or 10 years, but it would be throughout eternity. This is what we look forward 
And as we look forward to this, we ask that one day when it's a reality, we can be able to give you praise throughout eternity, world without end, is our prayer in Yeshua's name. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. That is our podcast for this week. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. We will be taking a break for the month of October, so this will be a perfect time to listen to a past episodes you may have missed or to revisit some of the older podcast teachings. We look forward to returning in November. But the mercy of Yahuwah is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto his children's children, to such as to guard his covenant and to those that remember his commandments and to do them. Until next week, Shalom.